Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. But to take two boys, get them some chicken tenders and fries, and sit on the concourse level. Lovely. In right field so they could stare down and see Juan Soto. That's everything about going to see a bad team. Yeah, so they loved it, right? Yeah. What was that thing that Henry said that he liked Juan Soto? So before the game, Henry for the entire, he's like, Juan Soto, Juan Soto, Juan Soto. And it was like, Henry, what are you excited to see? Juan Soto. And Walker just goes, lunch. Juan Soto, <laughs> lunch. Aren't, isn't it buy one, get one free there now? Uh, the kids are a little bit too young for the Budweiser deal. Okay. Uh, okay. I guess. (laughs) This is General George Washington, and you're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. And from Shad, in honor of that intro, they don't care about records losing or tired arms. They care about lunch. So (laughs) it's a very funny line that you said they're a little too young for the Budweiser deal. But let me ask you a question. If the Budweiser deal is available... Can't you get it in their names and you drink the Budweiser and you bring you give oh, them? That would add up quickly, Dad. No. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like a pretty good idea to me. All right, so there's a lot of things to talk about today. We're going to have Bob Ryan on the show. We're going to have Jason Lock and Four on the show. So I'm going to try to avoid those things. I'm going to try to avoid the Boston Celtics. But I will say I am a little bit surprised uh, that the Philadelphia 76ers lost. James Harden. Now let me let me acknowledge who I am and what I've said. When that trade was made, sending James Harden, who had essentially quit on the Nets, sending him to Philadelphia in exchange for Ben Simmons, who had quit on the Sixers, I went on the PTI show and I said, that's it, we're done, the 76ers getting Harden will go to the NBA Finals. They will go through the Eastern Conference and go to the NBA Finals because James Harden will be, and I said this, the best player in basketball. I thought it would be liberating for him to leave Kyrie Irving, who was clear he could not stand because Kyrie Irving did not play half the games, and go to a place with Joel Embiid, take a lot of pressure off him, and I thought he'd be the best player in basketball, and he's not. Something has happened to James Harden. I don't know what it is, whether it's age, whether it's slowness, whether it's lack of confidence. I don't know. He's not the player I thought he would be. He's not the player he was last year. He's not that player. He's not. And Joel Embiid has hurt his thumb. And Joel Embiid is yappy. I don't, you know, Will Bond loves Joel Embiid. That's part of the reason I don't. He's a very great player. (laughs) He is. But he's very yappy. And he's won, as they used to say about Shaq, he's won everywhere but college and the pros. (laughs) He hasn't won anywhere, Joel Embiid. He's nothing. He has no rings. He ain't got no rings. So don't be quite so yappy. But if your best two players are hurt, if they are diminished, if Harden somehow something's wrong with him, whether he's hurt or not, he's just not as good, and Embiid has a thumb that needs surgery, you know, I don't know. Now, I didn't think Toronto could possibly win four in a row. And as I sit here today and Toronto's won two in a row, they only have to win two in a row. It's not four in a row now. Now it's two in a row. I don't think they can do it. I don't. But I do think that the next team that Philadelphia plays can do it. They can beat Philadelphia. Sure. But if Philadelphia were to lose this, we were talking yesterday, Wilbon and I, about how Steve Nash is going to get fired if they got swept. And they got swept. He's going to get fired. And Wilbon will defend firing him, even though he loves him. Wilbon defended Charlotte firing this guy, Borrego, because Borrego got into two. They fired him three or four days ago. Borrego got into two play-in games and was drilled by 24 and 29 and Wilbon said, it's clear he can't carry him. If Philadelphia loses this series, Doc Rivers is going to get fired. 
Wilbon loves Doc Rivers on a personal level. He's going to rail against this. But he's going to get fired because he will have added to the three times he's lost with a 3-1 lead in the playoffs, which has never been done by any other coach, blow three 3-1 leads. And this, is, this was technically last night a 3-1 lead. It was a 3-0 lead, which is even better. Well, it's never happened. Nobody's ever come back from that in the NBA. No. So what I'm saying is, and I don't think it's going to happen, but if it does, yes. he's going to get fired. That's the first thing I wanted to get to. Wrote that down. Second is Max Scherzer. You people know I love Max Scherzer, and I call him a warrior god all the time. I do not begrudge Max Scherzer getting the richest contract ever given to a pitcher. What is it, a three-year hundred twenty-five? It's like, it like 20 mil per year over the next best yeah, offer, It's right? an unbelievable deal. So I do not begrudge him going to Her the guy's Mets. already thrown no-hitters in New York. Right. I don't, it's, and he's worth it. He's worth it. He's going to the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Okay, the three guys that you know are going to the Hall of Fame that are pitchers right now active are Verlander, Kershaw, and Scherzer. They're going. They're going. They're in the Hall of Fame. And Corbin. Max, not Corbin. <laughs> Max Scherzer, I don't think the Mets have lost a single start of his this year. I think he started at least four games. Max left the game down 2-0 yesterday, and the Mets rallied, and they won that game. Max Scherzer's ERA is 1.80, and he leads the National League in strikeouts. What more do you want? <laughs> what more do you want? So, like, I can't. I wish he were here. But I can't get angry at his success because his success is the Nats' success. There, if you want to point to people and you say, who really, really, truly helped? Who put the Nats over the top? There's a line you can look at. I, maybe I'm wrong, Michael, on this. You're a bigger fan than I. But I think the line starts, honestly, with the acquisition of Jason Wirth. And I think it's the drafting of Bryce Harper. And I think it's the signing of Max Scherzer. I think that's the line. Yeah, I, I think those three players, just in terms of the, the second phase versus, say, drafting Ryan Zimmerman. Yeah, yeah. I love Ryan Zimmerman. I'm just saying that, that the great success, they had a part of it. Even though Bryce Harper and Jason Worth were not in the World Series. Even though they were not. They had a part of it. And someone would say, well, what about Strasburg? And I would just say, just don't get me started there. Don't, don't <laughs> but we knew Scherzer was going to – we didn't know if he was going to have these numbers. You knew he'd get off to this hot start because he always comes in and wants to prove something. But there's been a couple other pitchers who have been more unexpected as you're still waiting for DeGrom to get, to get going. Um, can I talk about Jeff Ma? Does, oh, every, sure. does anybody know what I did with Jeff Ma on Saturday? Does the, 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 the littles at large? They don't know. I don't believe you talked about this now. Okay. So Jeff Ma, who has been gracious and kind and has been on the show for three years now, picking games. At least, And yeah. picks somewhere between 55% and 60%. And wakes up early to do so. Because he lives in California. He yeah. lives north of San Francisco. He wakes up early. And, you know, not dynamic on, on, on the air because it's 5 in the morning. <laughs> it's 5 in the morning. Yes. And Jeff is a quiet guy. Jeff's not. He ain't me. You know, he doesn't need to talk all the time. He's also getting through content. Yeah. Yeah. And I should say, he did all of this after you mistook him for a valet. I didn't mistake him for a valet. I knew who he was. I said it would be nice if we gave him 50 bucks to park cars at a particular event. A story he likes to tell. Anyway, Jeff calls me last week, early in the week, and he says, I have to be in Charlottesville on the weekend, so I'm going to take the red eye to D.C. on Friday night. You want to play golf Saturday? I said, sure. I'd love to play golf on Saturday. So I um, call up Columbia, and I call up Greg Lecker, the starter, and I say, Greg, could you do me a big favor? I'd like to bring a guest on Saturday 
I know it's tough to do that, but I hope that you can accommodate that. And he said, sure, let me talk to Bob Dolan. Bob Dolan's the head pro. And they did it. They arranged for it. They arranged for me to be able to play with Jeff. Jeff Ma is coming in. We're arranged to play at 1030 on Saturday morning. And I and so um, Greg says, what's your guest's name? And I say, Jeff Ma. And he goes, Jeff. And I go, Ma, M-A, Ma. And then I say to him, Greg, did, did you ever see the movie 21? And just by strange coincidence, he says, yeah, I saw it last night. <laughs> I saw it last night on Netflix. It was great. I said, oh. Okay, Jeff Ma's that guy. And he goes, what? I said, Jeff Ma's that guy. He's the kid from MIT. He's the guy who did it. He says, you're kidding, right? And then Jeff, and then Greg says to me, you know, they hid all the money in the ceiling. Why did they hide the money in the ceiling? And I said, Greg, you're going to be able to ask him, which is a great way to get out of a line. So Jeff came in, and Greg was very excited, and Bob Dolan was very excited to meet Jeff Ma. And he came, and we played. We played with a couple of other people. We now, played. did Rufus handicap the match? Rufus, Rufus, according to Jeff, Rufus sets the odds for all golf in America. Rufus Peabody. And, and when Jeff said that to me, I said, of course, derisively, because I say everything derisively, like, Rufus. And, he, and Jeff goes, well, he went to Yale. Well, I didn't <laughs> know maybe that Maybe Rufus either. can explain why you, why you lose those dots when you move up to the gold. Yeah, because that makes no sense. So Jeff and I played. the same number. Come we on. played um, with Daryl Clark. We, 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 had a, we had a really nice time. Um, a really nice time. And I was really happy. I was very happy to have that experience to go around with Jeff. You know, we talked about where he played. He hadn't played much in his life. He's, yeah, he's a water polo guy. That's right. The great thing about the foursome is that Daryl Clark says at one point about his son, who's a freshman in high school, he says he's started water polo. He likes water polo. And I said, Daryl, have you come to the right place? Because <laughs> over here to my right, Mr. Ma was a water polo player at MIT. And a water polo player in high school. And so they talked a little bit about water polo. Water polo, by the way, you, if you're not in the greatest condition in the world, you can't play water polo. Because you don't, <laughs> don't stand. Don't afloat. You're not standing on yeah. the bottom of the pool. You're treading water all the time. Now, I yeah. would tread water mentioning my high school to Jeff. All the time, treading water. Yeah, and then you have to porpoise out of the water to throw Fling the ball. this thing. Yes. So I'm really impressed with that. And then Jeff told me something else. That his wife and her brother were on between them something like six national championship water polo teams at UCLA, <laughs> which it seems to me would have a water polo team. <laughs> yes. So I had a really nice time with Jeff. Um, when you're on the show and you have that opportunity to be closer to someone, it's just very nice. I was very thrilled to do it, and I, I'm glad. I was really glad to do it. And Greg took a picture with Jeff. Jeff took a picture with me. God only knows what he'll do with that picture and where it will be. And I was so terrible. I shot about 110. I couldn't hit the ball straight. I couldn't hit it in the air. But better, really better out of the bunkers? Oh, no. Nine. Three. Uh, the last two times I've played, there have been at least three bunkers that I've been in where I've taken at least three shots, and I've just thrown the ball out. I've just thrown it out. I need a lesson from you in how to get out I've of I've only the been offering it for the last decade. I know, and I, I need to do it. But it's hard to connect with you. No, it's not hard. It's hard to get you. Have, you're a busy man. Change the angle of your shoulders, okay? Let's try and level it out, get the right shoulder a little bit higher. Just don't know what I'm doing. Anyway, uh, once again, let me thank Sean from Philly Pretzel Factory, and let me yes. get to one more small item here, and that is Greg Norman and Phil Mickelson, because something's going on there. If I understand this correctly, Phil Mickelson has has confirmed 
that he has he wants to be eligible to defend his PGA title at Southern Hills, and he wants to be eligible for the British Open. He's a former British Open winner at St Andrews. Am I correct on that? Yeah, you're sort of missing the first thing, which is I want to get to. That. It started with the U.S. Open. The British oh. was not necessarily mentioned, but he. he oh, the U.S. Open. Yeah, oh, I thought it was the British Open. Okay. No, no, I think this is the U.S. Open. He's trying to register for that to win the final piece of his Grand Slam. I didn't and, know that. I had that uh, wrong. He put his name out there to defend, which people were wondering, will he, won't he, after he did not enter the Masters? The Masters. And Fred Ridley basically admitted he could have if he wanted to. Okay. Also, according to Phil's agent, he has applied to the PGA Tour for, in essence, a waiver. To go play in a Saudi golf league event. Where is that event? In London? This is going to be just outside of London, northwest. Have, do you know the golf course? I, I don't. It's Centurion Club, but it's not one of the ones in like the southwest um, okay. Surrey belt that I've played. Okay. So he's applied for that. What do you make of that piece of this? Well, so the PGA Tour commissioner basically set a deadline that all you know active players had to put in their request to play. The timing of it's what's fascinating because I don't... I don't know how Greg Norman got this. Maybe by agreeing to do it, he got the 30 for 30 to be put out at such an advantageous time for him to see him as In the which people like me who don't like him yeah, at all fallen feel, hero yes, that what yes, could have been. Yes, uh, feel very sympathetic. And then you look at the timing of Phil, which is you try and you try and put out something that is so positive for the legions of golf fans. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of loud crying out that we wanted to see him at the Masters. And then just sort of going to sprinkle something in just after that that says, and maybe I'll play in something else. I'm just going to go see what, I don't know, maybe $25 million in the field offers the week before in a different country. Okay. When I heard about this, this was my reaction. He's friendly with Greg Norman. He feels he owes Greg something because he hurt the Saudi tour with his comments. There's no question about that. But what Phil really wants is for the PGA tour to say, no, you can't play so that Phil can pledge himself to the PGA Tour in the near term, play in all these other events, get a clean slate, be able to be Phil Mickelson again, and then in a year, walk out and make a bunch of dough. I think he wants his cake and eat it too. Do you agree with that? See, I love that theory. I was thinking Phil's basically going to say to the rest of the tour players, because again, they're looking at the mid-tier sort of past champion crowd, journeyman player. Lee Westwood. And Greg Norman has basically said, I'm going to throw so much money at these guys that the top 20 players are going to look at this and say, I want some of that too. And Phil might be sitting, I'm already a fallen hero. I'm going to put my name out there because they're going to have to grant me the waiver. Because if they don't, there's going to be some bigger issues. And by granting me that waiver, it's going to allow this flood of other players to join in because the scrutiny is going to be elsewhere. Why they do you have, think they have to grant him the waiver? Uh, I think there's going to be why a don't, lot of, Why can't they say, you can't defend at the PGA as a result of this? So We've I, told you, you can't do it. I why? think at that point, the individual majors become different become bigger than the actual bodies governing them. I mean, we saw this with the Masters, where so many of us think that all these things are tied up together, and the PGA Professional uh, Championship is a different entity that's related to the tour. Obviously, the Masters is its own thing. British Open, US Open, these are governed by other entities, but we all sort of view them together. I just look, when you start to hear we have 15 out of the top 100 players who are committed, and those names are going to be... Uh, being released, it is going to be the Lee Westwoods, those types of yeah. players, which is which is Kevin Knott, uh, and you know maybe 
uh, you know, Bubba Watson and, and yeah. sort of Robert Garrigus was the guy that you go like, sure, you could be the first name that's official because no one really remembers who you are, though. I think you got into a PTI thing with him. Well, yes, he like dislikes five me. or six years. He ago. dislikes me, even though I tried to make it smoother. He dislikes me. Uh, but it, it's interesting. The timing of all this, you look at the calendar, the, the dates they have. They've actually played into the PJ Tour calendar, which is we're going against some of the weaker field events that you have that you've basically already made minor league events. So in many ways, this should be able to coexist once you start to decide who's going to be able to play in it. So you think if granted the waiver, Phil will play. And I think he will not be granted the waiver, and it's part of a strategy. So we'll see. Yeah, I think it's. I think there's so few events. You look at Phil's age. You look at the idea that it's 54 hole, no cut events with shotgun starts. That is exactly what Phil sort of wants to be championing. And you already look at even before the last couple of years. You take away that win, he was non-competitive in regular tour events. That's to right. The point where you're not, you know, you're struggling to make the cut. So the idea of something that is, you know, ideally made for TV with shotgun, you don't have to wait six hours to watch, you know. Uh, your favorite player, Phil, tee off. He's he's there right now, and you get all the action in a condensed time that's closer to the timeline of other sports. We will see. Um, that I'm sure this will be a PTI topic today. Oh yeah, you know. And did I did you finally uh, finish the rest of the uh, the Greg Norman? 30, no, 30? I didn't. No, but I finished the rest of the pot roast you made. It's the greatest pot roast of all time. <laughs> okay, it's a little past the. Uh, it's the, the greatest pot roast. I, well, I had last night. I had a pot roast sandwich. Put a little pickle on top. It was Ooh. fantastic. We'll take a break. Bob Ryan will join us when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is sent to us by Jessica Gray, G-R-A-A-E, who writes, My friend, the opera composer Glenn Winters, recommended I get in touch with you and send you a sample from my new album. Attached is the song, You Put My Heart Down. I'm a D.C. native, now living in Swarthmore, Pennsylvania. My new album, Wild River, features 11 of my original songs and musicians such as cellist Michael Ronstad of the Ronstad musical family. There's even a song about Chincoteague, the garden. How do people have this talent? It's amazing, isn't it? How do people have this talent? It's incredible. And we don't know about them. <laughs> Jessica Gray. It's called You Put My Heart Down. Fantastic. Plays in Bob Ryan. And I stayed away in the open from the Celtics and the Nets series. A four-game sweep, which to my mind will undoubtedly cost Steve Nash's job, but will have no impact on Kyrie Irving. <laughs> you know, because that's the way that's the way the world works. You've watched a lot of Celtics teams. You watched a lot of great Celtics teams. I would not say this is a great Celtics team. But the buy-in on defense was remarkable to me. What do you think of this Celtics team and, and this series, Bob? The team, I'd say, would not be afraid or embarrassed to play any Celtic team in history, the way they are playing right now. They would, they would line up, and I don't think they'd be swept by Russell's team, the Havlicek-Cowan's team, the big three-bird Parrish-McHale team, 
or the Garnett uh, Pierce Allen team. I think they would hold their own. I think they would give them a battle. I think they would in- conduct themselves on, on, a, on a fairly equal level. They're, the, the way they're playing right now, um, they are a threat to win it all. They are a threat. They are not a favorite. I still pick Milwaukee in the East, although the Middleton thing will, will, may has yet to be resolved. Mm-hmm. And, and Miami is Miami. Anyway, they're good. Now, the series. It's a, uh, what, I, what impresses me most, I'm thinking about this in anticipation of our talk, uh, they didn't blow anybody out. Their four margins right. of victory were one, seven, one at the buzzer, literally, seven, six, and four. I'm more impressed with that. It says more about them to me, would you agree, than, than a couple of blowouts, that they were able to do something that they were not able to do in the months of, of uh, November um, and December, and, even, and that was uh, win close games. They had a terrible record, and they had a lot of negative stuff going on until they, they saw the light. So that, that, this series was an impressive triumph because of the way they played when they, in, the, in the key moments. I would say that it really means something if all the games are close and you win them all. I say that really does mean something for you as a team. But I want to go – the defense, I don't care what Durant scored last night. Durant gave them three games of nothing. Three games of nothing. And Kyrie Irving didn't – I mean, they need to score 60 between them for that Mm -hmm. team to win. And they didn't. And they didn't. And that's because of Boston, a team that was – capsized like 40 games into the season capsized and mm-hmm. now has finished 26 and 6 and 4 and 0 oh so far in the playoffs how did that happen bob it's a fascinating story uh, they're just playing the way up to the individual and collective capabilities for and you have to assume and none of us have the answer but one of the common theories is that for whatever reason at whatever at that point in time which was the beginning of january roughly Whatever Emi Adoka was preaching, they started to buy into. And, and it, it, we, we had questions then. You know, oh, everybody was talking about what a wonderful uh, guy, uh, what a choice that was. I mean, he, I have, Tony, I said this on many occasions in the last couple of months. Uh, while being careful to be with the use of the words always and never, I have never, in 52 years of covering this league, I have never heard or seen a circumstance where a, a rookie coach was, came in with such universal praise from the outside world. Everybody loves this guy. And, and not, this wasn't just coming internally. This is externally. And, but we weren't seeing the results in the, in the first two and a half months. And suddenly <clears throat> they got the message or, the, or they started playing. With, uh, you know what the big dialogue was here, Tony, <clears throat> in, in um, December? The big dialogue was, can Brown and play, Tatum play together? That's right. They, That's right. Wilbon talked about that all the time. That's right. And, and mm-hmm. I, I want to tell you, uh, I'd be lying to you. I, I would be Kevin McCarthy if I were to tell you that I, would, <laughs> that I did not buy into it. I bought into it. I, I, yeah. I, I raised my hand. Yeah, I guess it's true. All right. I, I don't trade tra- Brown for Bradley Beal, which was one, a popular thing, by the way. But uh, you've got to do something. Maybe you've got to sacrifice smart, as much as I love smart, and I do. Uh, anyway, I bought into it, too. So, uh, and, and now it, it's frightening to think that that could have ever happened. Here's a question I have. As Milwaukee was tanking deliberately to avoid playing the Nets in the first round, Boston said, we'll play them, we'll take them on. Does that have anything to do with the possibility of animosity towards Kyrie Irving, who lied and left? No, because Emi Adoka was on the other – no, nothing at all. It has to do with Emi Adoka 
taking a positive stance, believing in his guys and himself, the whole thing. Love the way they were playing prior to the Robert Williams injury, and even after it, they, 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 they held their head up well, <clears throat> even after losing Robert Williams, who is back, not 100% yet, but he's back. Uh, no, I think that was a positive, that was a bold, positive statement, and I bet that energized that team. I find the Nets so easy to dislike. You know, I, I mean, I say this a lot, and I will stand by it. Kyrie Irving is the worst teammate in professional sports. He withheld his services from his employers and his co-workers. I find Kevin Durant not as interesting as other people do. And Ben Simmons, well, what do you mean? How, did, how do we get to the point where Ben Simmons doesn't play at all? walks out on one team and doesn't walk into the other. At least James Harden walked into the other team. What do you make of this team? With all the teams you've ever covered, what do you make of the Nets in terms of hateability or likability? In terms of his participation in this series, we're told that the, real, the final reason he did not was his back. We have to take that at face value. I, 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 you know, we, have, we can't prove, disprove that. But in, terms of, in general terms, uh, I... I uh, you know, would never want the guy on my team, period. And uh, he, he, he's, he's got problems. Now, he admitted to a mental issue, and now that's nothing to trifle with. He may very well seriously have uh, issues that need to be addressed that he better get outside of basketball. But he, 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 there's something missing there. And not to mention the, 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 willful, the, the, uh, the willful decision he has made not to improve his game. It is amazing that he's gotten as far as he's gotten on the, on, on the limitations that he has. Uh, namely, that in this world of shooting, he cannot shoot the basketball from the outside. And, and we had this ludicrous three-point thing going on. Uh, his, his, it, he, he, I said after his rookie year, Tony, and I did many times, what they got to do is lock him in a gym three hours a day, put an armed guard outside the, the, the door, and say, you've got to shoot 1,000 jump shots a day, and then come back and see us. And, then, and he, 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 won't, he refuses to do that. Apparently, and and so there you go. I don't want him on my team. I don't want Kyrie on my team. I'll, I'll go back to what I said about Kyrie when he was in Boston. This won't be his last stop, and and he's searching for something in life, and he doesn't know what it is. The Nets won't be his last stop either. No, no, he'll leave. no, no. He'll go it's, somewhere. It's gonna, no. People, yeah. unless unless finally collectively the league says. It is a poison. We don't need it. As great as he is, even last night there were flashes of that extraordinary skill. Who goes to the basket better at his size in the history of the game? You tell me. Nobody. I don't know who does. No, he's the best ball handler and penetrator ever. Ever. <laughs> I just, the the you only know, guy but, that I would put in that category is the Isaiah. pre-injury Derek Rose. Derek Rose should okay. not be forgotten when we're discussing uh, great players in history. That but he's bigger. Were, but, yeah, I know. I said the pre-injury is Derek Rose. And he's never right. returned to that level. The, the MVP, right. Derek Rose, was, was, was pretty cl- yeah. much the same thing. Oh, but now, yeah. in this world, he's the best. But you can't have yeah. him on your team. Yeah. Um, yeah, you should play tennis or golf. He just should not be on a team sport. That's all. <clears throat> yeah. uh, let me shift gears completely. You took a position. You were pretty much one of the first people to do this, a position that I agreed with and I just didn't say out loud. And this was on Jerry West on the HBO show, uh, the Lakers show, that essentially Jerry West has been slandered. He has been slandered. What, you know, tell the people how you feel about this. Jerry West uh, is, a, as those who know anything about him, and I don't claim to be an intimate anything else. I haven't talked to him in years. I mean, but, but, but I read his autobiography, which is compelling reading. 
and and we know that he's a a, a negative thinker. He's, he's just a pessimist by nature, and he's suffered from depression. He's he, and he had an incredibly abusive childhood, and it's and the scars are still there. Uh, I think about him. I was thinking, uh, you know, but remember that. Uh, Woody Allen told us that his original t- choice of the title for Annie Hall was Anhedonia, which is the state of being incapable yep. of happiness. Yep. Well, that's yep. what Jerry West should have nicknamed his autobiography, Anhedonia. That's just who he is. However, he is n- he's a rational human being. He's an intelligent human being. He's in control of, 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 of his, his professional uh, uh, you know, life uh, in that sense. And he is portrayed in this in this uh, production by Adam McKay and friends uh, as a uh, uh, lunatic, an out-of-control, uh, unreasonable uh, human being, a, 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 a nutcase, uh, a rageaholic, and, 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 and inferences are alcoholic, and also sexaholic, by the way. All the holics you can think of, they're, they're throwing in and piling <laughs> on him, making him into, as many other people in, in this production are, a complete cartoon figure. When I saw episode one, I said three things. One, they have reduced everyone to a cartoon figure. Yep. yep. Two, uh, that, uh, well, no, I forget. Well, I'll get, to, I'll get to three. Is it Jerry West uh, should have three words? Oh, two was, what did Jerry West ever do to Adam McKay to warrant being portrayed in such a ridiculous light, an embarrassing, humiliating, slanderous, as you said, light? And number three, uh, I have three words for Adam McKay, where I, Jerry West, and I to see my lawyer, which he has finally done. It, it, it's shameful. I mean, I, I could go on with, you know, a string of adjectives, but it, it, it's just, and I thought it was borderline criminal that what they did to Jerry West. Yeah, Wilbon and I take the same position. We do not watch the show because every time I tune in, I see somebody who I know being portrayed in a way that I know is not that particular person. Um, West is simply being portrayed as a redneck maniac. It's just totally unfair. And I would point this out, and Bob knows this well, because we did this yesterday on PTI. Yesterday was the anniversary of Jerry West having a series against the Baltimore Bullets that put them into the finals 57 years ago, where they would lose, as they always lost. West and Baylor always lost to Russell, never beat Russell. But West, in six games, never had less than 42. Went 42-plus six games and averaged 46.3 in that series, a number that and without the three-point shot, a yep. number that, Bob, I don't think will ever be approached in a, in a series. I well remember it all. And, I mean, I, I stand you know, in a great admiration of him, the player. He was a player. And yet, you know, he beats himself up. He still finds ways in the book, you know, to, to yeah. beat himself up uh, for, not, for not being able to scale Mount Russell, which, of course, is ridiculous. And, and uh, it, it, you know, he was, I'm glad, you know, I'm so glad you point this out to your, to your listeners, uh, how great a player Jerry West was. But, but uh, even in, with that, he, he, uh, he, he just had to beat himself. He just, that's who he is. But he is not the, the out, unreasonable, out-of-control, frighteningly, you know, almost dangerous human being that he's portrayed. I, can, I, I, I can't stress it enough how much I, I hope he gets some. But what kind of satisfaction is he going to get, Tony? It's not money. He doesn't need it. Doesn't have, it's nope. not it. Nope. And what they, how can they make it up to him? How? Just apologize. I know, we miscast Oh, yeah, fuck. And then, and then the thing will hang out. The thing's going to hang out there. And they're coming back for year two. You know, oh, uh, oh, absolutely. Not only that. I mean, everybody under the age of 30 who, who looks at it thinks, so oh, that's who he is. That's who he is. It's just, that's, it's, 
even with it's the disclaimer, it's a, you know, to me, the it's actionable. It flashes on the screen in about two seconds yeah. that nobody, nobody's going to read it anyway. People are going to no. honestly think. I finished the whole thing yesterday, by the way. I've seen them all now. And, no, uh, I stopped. Uh, you know, and the idea that we're going to have more of it—I don't know—you know who they're going to slander next time, but uh, you know. So anyway, it, but the, the Jerry West is the, the, the great takeaway from it. That, that, that what they've done to him is just, just absolutely shameful. Thank you, Bob. You're Bob welcome, Ryan, Tony. boys and girls, the quintessential American sports writer. We will take a break. Jason Lock and Fora will join us as we preview the draft. A draft that, to me, I don't even—I don't know who's in it. You know, I mean, I just, if quarterbacks aren't in it, I don't really know who's in it. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Must have been you, Must have been you, Here's a song from Nick Bowen, who we played their songs before. We love Nick Bowen. I wanted to send you my new song, Must Have Been You. And in parentheses, Saving Grace, off my album, Kill Your Monsters, which is out now wherever you listen to music. Thank you so much for your time, and I hope you enjoy. We've had two great tunes on today from people sending us original music. The talent level is stunning. Michael, if people want to send us their original music, which we will play in its entirety without being interrupted at the end of the podcast, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonykornizershow.com. And it plays in Jason Lockenfora of his own fabulous radio show and CBS Sports, member of the Washington Post Alumni Society, as are we all. Um, there is a draft that begins on Thursday night. We're off PTI Thursday and Friday. Wilbon is, doesn't want to even discuss the NFL draft at all, although he will happily discuss the NBA draft, which he thinks is important. But the NFL draft stinks to Wilbon. But let's start with this, Jason. For people like me, I don't want to say casual sports fans because I'm more than that, but I am seduced by glamour positions. We usually see quarterbacks. Apparently, we're not going to see quarterbacks in this one. What will we see? Well, look, we will see quarterbacks depending on how late you tune in and how late you stay up. I I think we do see at least one in the top ten and possibly two. Uh, I don't see the Carolina Panthers passing on Kenny Pickett from Pitt who is the, the most accomplished of this group, the one who put up the best numbers in, in uh, college last season of this group, the one who is probably the most pro-ready. Uh-huh. Although I would say none of them is actually pro-ready. And um, he also played at Pitt where David Tepper, the owner of the – uh, Carolina Panthers is a massive booster, has buildings oh. named after him on campus. I'm told he's a big Kenny Pickett guy. That's enough for me. I don't know anyone who, after the way they've mismanaged that quarterback position, I don't know anyone who's going to um, stand up to that owner and say, I know better than you. Uh, now, Malik Willis from Liberty, um, an incredibly intriguing prospect, but also raw. Um, we'll need some time. We'll need some work. I could see him ending up in Atlanta. If you hire Arthur Smith to be your head coach, and Arthur Smith is the guy who turned Ryan Tannehill around, and he's a quarterback guy, and that's what he does, are you really going to make him wait three years to get his hands on a quarterback who has potential to be your guy for the long term? Because let's be real, they're renting Marcus Mariota right now as a placeholder for whomever that guy is. I'm not mm-hmm. sure they actually would wait another year. Now, would they take Willis at eight? I don't know. Would they trade back a little bit into the first round and do it? Um, 
that could make some sense. Could they get really cute and try to trade back into the back end of the first round? If, let's say, Pickett's the only one off the board um, by the time the Steelers pick, I don't think that would happen. But if it did, uh, you know, I, I don't know the answer to all that. But I, I also personally would not be stunned if they just took Malik Willis at eight. Yeah, beyond that, I think Matt Corral gets picked at the latest pick 32 to the Lions, if that's where they choose to go quarterback, and I believe they will. And then Desmond Ritter from Cincinnati, like, he's won a lot of games. He has a nice body of work. He's a great kid, as are these other ones. Um, but there are some serious concerns about his accuracy and how much of that is fixable. Could New Orleans or someone like that take him in the first round? Or Pittsburgh? It's possible. Um, could someone jump into the back end of the first round to get ahead of the Lions? To grab him, um, maybe a Pittsburgh or a New Orleans there, you know, that potential is real as well. They like to get the fifth-year option, which comes from taking a player in the first round, especially for quarterbacks, and especially for quarterbacks who you think are going to have to redshirt for a year or more, which would be the case with most, if not all, of these individuals. That's a lot of quarterback stuff, and yet I'm told that it's mostly no, linemen. Yeah, there'll be some court, though, right? There's always quarterback intrigue. Okay. Though. Who are the linemen? Who are the? I mean, what is the? What are the first five picks likely to be? They're not going to be quarterbacks first five, so no. It'll be it. There will be a run on um, offensive and defensive linemen. Uh, I, I think we're going to see uh, Trayvon Walker from Georgia go first overall to um, Jacksonville. He does not have the productivity week in week out of some of these other uh, young men, but. He had an absolutely historic combine. The the metrics, the measurables uh, are off the charts, and there are NFL teams who are looking at that saying, we can use him differently than he was used at Georgia. We can tap into more of that. We can get that wingspan, that, that those size speed metrics to show up more behind the line of scrimmage and sacks and tackles for losses. And um, mm-hmm. I, I think it starts with Jacksonville, who, who – I think have convinced themselves that uh, Walker's ceiling is higher than the ceiling for Aiden Hutchinson, who was kind of seen as the consensus number one first overall pick going into this process back in the winter. And it's not that he's done anything wrong. It's, it's just that Walker had this ridiculous combine. There are plenty of evaluators in the league who would tell you, you're thinking about this and talking about this way too much every Saturday. Hutchinson was the more dominant player. Hutchinson has every bit the ceiling that Walker has. What somebody did in shorts on one afternoon, you know, in or evening in Indianapolis uh, in a fairly vacant stadium shouldn't push him up that much. I think right. Hutchinson goes second, a local kid to the Lions. Um, and then, you know, you're going to see at least one more pass rusher. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon will go in, I think, at least the top nine picks. And then you'll see three offensive linemen as well, um, each a little bit different. It depends on what kind of flavor you're looking for. But I, I think you'll see three offensive linemen in the first ten picks as well. So I don't know, um, y- you know, what people do in terms of trading. But mm-hmm. Debo Samuel has said he wants to leave the 49ers, and John Lynch has said, essentially, stick it, kid. We're not going to do anything. But yeah. would it surprise you to see Debo Samuel traded from the 49ers and a bunch of picks come back? 
No, I mean, I don't know how you could be surprised if you've paid attention to this league in recent years, and in particular in the last two months, where if a player of that magnitude is dead set on leaving and the team gets convinced that we're not going to be able to, to solve this, or frankly, you know, it's always about money tone, so we just don't want yeah. to pay him that much money and somebody else will, mm-hmm. then when that somebody else is willing to give us enough that we think it's worth it, we'll, we'll pounce. And you look at a team like the Jets who have, you know, two picks in the top ten and, and then, you know, they're picking high in, in subsequent rounds. There's a lot of draft capital there. And Woody Johnson's back. He wants some splash. He wants some pizzazz. Uh, and they've missed out on a lot of other veteran receivers, as you pointed out, guys who, who have asked for and received trades. So, whew, um I don't get it from Debo Samuel's standpoint, other than maybe he just wants to be back on the East Coast or something like that. Uh, I do think San Francisco eventually would probably get around the money he's looking for, although they've also got a situation with Nick Bosa that they're trying to to deal with. So, you know, the timing might not be exactly to Samuel's desires. But, I mean, no one's going to trade for him, give up all those picks, pay him like a quarterback, and then say – look, we're going to preserve you, and we promise, we'll put in your contract that we won't hand the ball to you or utilize you in the backfield more than 30 times a season. Like, no, the whole reason he's the <laughs> thing that he is him. is because <laughs> right. he can run the ball between the tackles. He's positionless. He can he can be your H-back. He can be your running back. He can be your wide receiver. Like, no one's going to do all that and say, oh, yeah, now we, but we really don't want to use you the way Kyle Shanahan unlocked you. We're just going to throw you 50-yard bombs. Like, so... This whole thing is odd to me, I, I have to admit, um, and we'll see how it resolves itself, but certainly between now and the draft, there's potential for more trades. Um, I, I, everyone asks this, and I will too. You mentioned Carolina, you mentioned Pittsburgh, the New Orleans as teams that might look for a quarterback. You did not mention Seattle, but of course Seattle will look for a quarterback. What happens to Baker Mayfield, Jason? What happens? Yeah. I think he ends up in Seattle, to be honest with you. Um, his personality, sort of that brashness, some would say cockiness, I, I don't think Pete Carroll and John Schneider have a problem with. They've had plenty of guys there whose personalities over the years might not have been everybody's um, cup of tea. Uh, but there's going to have to be some things that get worked out financially. Cleveland, the idea of Cleveland you know, resetting the quarterback market and giving Deshaun Watson the biggest deal in the history of the league and carrying a backup at $20 million. No, I mean, that's unfeasible. They've pinned themselves into mm-hmm. a corner. Mm-hmm. They have negative leverage. They're, they're staring right now um, at a payroll around $255 million when the cap is 208. Uh, everybody knows that. No one's looking to do them any favors, especially after Jimmy Haslam just peed in everybody's cornflakes by giving Deshaun Watson a fully guaranteed <laughs> deal, you know, at $45 million a year with a no-trade clause. And despite the fact that, you know, we all know what Deshaun Watson's been dealing with in terms of his personal life and the, and the civil allegations against him. So how much of, Has- of this contract is Haslam going to be willing to eat to facilitate this trade? Oh, and the other thing is, besides Seattle, like, you tell me who's, like, there's nobody else. Like, no, nobody else is even really legitimately in this. People have said Carolina. I think Carolina's drafting a quarterback. I also don't think um, that owner is going to pay Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield each $19 million to find out neither one's probably the guy. Uh, yeah. So I think it's kind of Seattle or bust. 
would it have to happen before the draft? Not necessarily, because I don't think you're getting more than a four that moves up to a three. And you're probably going to have to play the season out and see how Baker Mayfield plays to see whether he hit the escalators that move that pick up to a three or a two or whatever else. I keep hearing that it, it, teams want Haslam to eat more than half the contract. To this point, I, I don't think he's been willing to go above maybe five or six million. We'll see how that plays out. I can't imagine them wanting Baker Mayfield around there. Uh, so I do think he ultimately ends up in Seattle, and I think he could be interesting there, especially depending on what else they do in the draft. And it is the NFC, which is quite watered down. And they're used to having a quarterback who doesn't have and I'm not comparing him to Russell Wilson as a quarterback, but if you look at some of their measurables, their stature, um, things they've done to facilitate Russell Wilson offensively because he, he's not six foot five. That's um, right. He's you know, short. I think that's they've right. already kind of accomplished some of that's already kind of baked into their cake. So yeah. I think it's Seattle. Okay. Jason, thank you, thank you, thank you. Plug your radio show for us. Always, always my pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. Um, you can get more of this from uh, 2 to 6 Eastern Time daily on Inside Access on 105.7 The Fan in Baltimore, or you could listen to us uh, at www.1057thefan.com or uh, stream us on the Odyssey app. And I hope everyone uh, in, enjoys the draft. Thank you, Jason. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, you guys. We will have Talk to you soon. E- email and jingle when we return. I am Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. If you could buy your night's team. What a tale your son could tell About how you once bought Chadwick's And his inheritance went to hell Maybe at Nats Park Do some trivia And send them in around out to sea And serve Will Bob's chili Or maybe hire a worker man Paint a mural on the outfield fence for free. <laughs> it's Joe Arrow's brilliant. It's just brilliant. It That's makes, Gordon it makes me miss Shinebox. It's absolutely <laughs> it really brilliant. Yeah, great job, Joe. Just brilliant. Do you want to do the Bethesda Bagel ad? Bethesda Bagels, we love them. You would as well. All you need to do is go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the DC area nearest you, then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. All right, here's a song for today. Spread out now, Rosie. Doctor, come cut loose her mama's reins. You know, playing blind man's bluff is a little baby's game. You pick up a little dynamite, I'm going to pick up a little gun, and together we're going to go out tonight and make that highway run. That's a really cool song. Yes. You know, I... Bruce. Yeah, I mean, he understood sort of blue-collar longing. Yes. Even though he wasn't necessarily that, and certainly isn't now. That's he what's understood yeah. blue-collar longing better than anybody, the kind that even people with privilege want to have. Yeah. They want to have that. Thanks to our guests today, Bob Ryan, Jason Lockenfora. Thanks to today's sponsors, <coughs> Trade Coffee, Electric E-Bike, Anxious to see that at Michael's house. Foldable. Oh, yeah, and progressive up. insurance. <laughs> Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. Again, great thanks to Joe Arrow. That's wonderful. Here, This is from Michael Granberry, who is our friend, the arts and features editor at the Dallas Morning News. Yes. 
Kudos to the great David Aldridge for his comments about the HBO series Winning Time, in particular his spot-on comparison to the movie JFK. As a proud contributor of music to my favorite podcast, The Tony Kornheiser Show, I have to say that David's comments marked my favorite David Aldridge moment. I was a sixth grader in Dallas when President Kennedy was assassinated, and the searing aftermath of that event in my nation and my hometown is something I'll carry with me until the day I die. As a result, I contend I have now written more stories about the assassination than any newspaper man still working. In 2019, I wrote a story about a prospective Broadway musical that had its tryout in Dallas. Titled Oswald, it had in its cast two Oswalds, the lone gunman and the patsy. I'm sure you catch the drift. One of the first people I chose to interview about the show was author Gerald Posner, or Posner, whose book Case Closed, a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize, is regarded by many as the definitive history of the John F. Kennedy assassination. I began on a lighter note, telling Posner that Oswald features not one but two Oswalds, prompting him to say, oh no, please don't tell me they sing a duet. <laughs> they do not, I replied, they sing multiple duets, <laughs> to which he reacted with a groan and guffaw, oh no. It's just, you know... Anyway, because of the influence of entertainment, in particular the movie JFK, the Kennedy assassination, Posner said, has become like a board game, making credible histories such as his feel, uh, to use his word, antiquated. And as he says, JFK is the force that spearheaded the, the movement. That movie is still infuriating to me, he told me, because I think it's a very good movie. It's just terrible, terrible history, and that's the problem. If he weren't a good filmmaker, I wouldn't be bothered. And so we have Michael Granberry thanking David Aldridge for making that point. We have more email. Are we still here, Sean? Okay, good. This is from Elaine Applegate in Island Heights, New Jersey. Ready? Hello, Elaine. Hmm? Right. To the old ball man, one who would not be ignored. <laughs> Even if you do not read this on the air, please, please, please read Wendy's words to her colleagues at News 4. This is a quote. As you know, I've lived my life big and loud. It is my nature. And I had a blast. But a stillness has come over me that is profound and potent. I didn't know I could be this quiet. Life is not always a test. It is a teaching. I must learn this lesson with grace, and I will. Wendy Rieger. That's fabulous. And what the email, the point the email makes is on your Friday podcast, David Aldridge spoke of Wendy and her many talents, the written word being one of them. The above more than proves this. I am trying to recall her comments on Jay Billis's Sexy and Delicious. Secretly, I think all women and all men who came in contact with her, whether directly in person or through on-air television or on your podcast, wanted to be like her, from a belly rub date to kick out the windshield. <laughs> you can feel the depth of her life through her words. I personally want to have dreams like her. Images of you in turquoise short shorts with a red t-shirt with whispers of spooning is dangerous made me laugh till I cried. Imagine what the rest was like. As an aside to Tony, check the wind with Sailflow. It's a free app that tells you hour-by-hour hour direction and speed wind in your specific location. You plug in your golf course, although designed for sailing, it could be used for your golf course. Glad to see hats are gone, although you looked very dapper. Good health. What show except PTI could course through such things as an Edward Hopper painting to Pablo Torre's use of Occam's razor? Your podcast <laughs> runs the gamut from Mitch Album to Journalism 101 to thousands, if not millions and bazillions of laughs. Oh yeah, how could I forget the insights into sports? So just a lovely, I'm so grateful to Edith Applegate. Yes. If that is a made-up name. Elaine Applegate. Elaine Applegate, rather. yes. Elaine. Oh, you, that's why you made the Seinfeld reference. Yes. Elaine. Okay. 
Um, from William Bennett, the director of the official choir of the Tony Kornheiser show. I was listening to Friday's show. I heard the email about salt. Only six types of salt? Ha! Child's play. Should we have the usual table? Kosher and pink Himalayan salt? Who doesn't? But if you're going to flex about salt, here's the rest of what we have in our kitchen. Bacon salt. Applewood smoke salt. Sea salt. Your favorite. Celtic sea salt. Irish seawater just tastes better. Flake salt. Life-changing. Smoked flake salt. And P.S to resistance. Black flake salt. <laughs> Boom, that's 10. Of course, in writing this, I realize I may have a problem. Oh, you can have that Chicago dog without the salt. Have you heard salt. of all those salts? I've, I've a third of them. Of the the Celtic Sea bit. Salt. From it's Joe Rizzo that. in Oak Hill, Virginia. I listened to Wednesday's pod late in the afternoon, so I'm guessing I'm the 500th little to email their info in the show. My middle name is Bernard. I'm right-handed, and my right shoulder is in constant pain. Thank you. <laughs> Thank From you Kelly in Pocatello, Idaho. Please tell Jeff and Madison that my middle name is also Scott, after my father. I'm right-handed. My left knee doesn't hurt, but I do get heartburn when I eat anything mint-flavored. <laughs> These are wonderful little... Try sleeping on your left side. Yes. Wonderful things. From Gus in South Glens Falls, New York. Get off the bus, Gus. I am familiar with South Glens Falls, New York. My roommate in college, David Carpenter, was from Glens Falls, New York. I believe Barry Melrose lives in Glens Falls, New York. I've been to the Montcalm Restaurant in Glens Falls, New York. Please let Harley Griffiths in Chicago via New Rochelle know that he almost got it correct. While Queensbury is a town in Warren County, New York, the village of Lake George is located just to the north and west within the town of Lake George. The mayor of the village has been in office since 1971, or 51 years. Can you say term limits? <laughs> Queensbury does include a lot of shoreline along Lake George, which long ago was was nicknamed the Queen of American Lakes and has been a top tourist location for over 120 years. He gets bonus points for liking Stewart's Brouhaha ice cream. However, I suspect Mr. Tony would not be a fan as it includes espresso bean-flavored chocolate flakes. Their Colombian coffee ice cream would be more likely up your alley. Tell Michael we got four inches of snow on Tuesday, but I was able to play 18 on Wednesday. Yeah, there was a last week, Binghamton got seven inches. Wow. Aubrey Rucker, Birmingham, Alabama. Over Easter weekend, I was spending some quality time with my girlfriend's extended family for the first time. I was slightly timid and wasn't offering much to the conversation. But then a topic arose that I couldn't ignore. Who here likes cottage cheese? <laughs> Most of the family expressed their dislike. But my girlfriend's <laughs> grandfather declared he loved cottage cheese, but only if it were large curd. He didn't like any of that small curd junk. Four percent, I inquired. He looked at me with an expression of confusion, amusement, and admiration. Yes, he said, only 4%. I think I'm in with the family. Great email. From Dave Golbitz. I want to drop you a line to thank you for playing my friend Alexa's song on Wednesday's show. I'm not sure who was more excited, her or me, but I got a big smile on my face ever since she showed me the email from Nigel telling her when she was going to be on. She's great. I'm glad you liked her music. I'm thankfully introduced to her in an audience who might not otherwise have heard her play. This is what we do every day. Yeah. We introduce people who nobody's heard of. And it's so a pretty large audience. Fantastic. From Scotty Baker in Berrien Springs, Michigan. Do I pronounce that right? Still unofficial Egyptian archaeologist of the Tony Kornheiser show. On Wednesday's show, you mentioned a nice letter from Master Sergeant Antonio Rodriguez, who lives on Yap. Yap? I've lived for two years on a neighboring island in Micronesia called Pompeii. I have friends on Yap. How cool is that? David Aldridge moment? To help, Yap and Pompeii are two of four states in the Federated States of Micronesia, just south of Guam. I taught school there, and because it is a U.S. territory, I had Sports Illustrated mailed to me for the same postage as anywhere in the USA. That is where I first read of a young college golfing phenom who went by the name Tiger Woods. Beautiful islands, beautiful people. Happiest years of my life. Congratulations on your retirement, Master Sergeant Rodriguez, and 
shout out to Edith Saliza. <laughs> That's fantastic. I mean, I never heard of Yap or Pompeii, and we got people on Yap and Pompeii. <laughs> no. Bob Boxwell in Lusby, Maryland, friend of Kevin Sheehan's, I'm sure. Thanks for the Don Stanhouse reference. In addition to the wild ride, he guaranteed on each appearance he had the wild hair to match. Full pack indeed. 3-2 count on every batter. I miss Earl. And obviously the O's do too. Spencer Thompson in Boston. After living in Boston for the last year, I finally drove through Revere. For the first 90% of my journey, I thought, huh, the place is pretty unremarkable. Why do they make such a big deal about it on the pod? Then right as I was getting on the highway to leave town, there was a young man walking in the middle of the street with a sign. It read, not homeless, just need some weed for 420. Please help. Now it all makes sense. And one more from Louis Rossell, who's part of the LBR Psychological Consultants in Mount Pleasant, Iowa. I had the pleasure of running my fourth Boston Marathon the other day and attending my first ever Passover Seder at the home of a friend and colleague, Len Bard, in Needham, Massachusetts. At the Seder, I met his son, Josh Bard, who knows your son, your daughter-in-law, and of course you. I told him I was a loyal listener to the podcast and had been reading you since I went to school in D.C. in the early 80s. The Seder was great. The marathon went well. My time was 3.33.55. A nice full house. That's a brilliant time. Are you kidding me? My great thanks to Louis B. Rossell and to the Bard family. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone is always do wear white. You want to talk real customers? Kid, that's me. I'm like the mayor of Duncan. I go from Marblehead to Revere. <laughs>